Tell you what, I love, I'm so blessed, we are blessed to have so much talent in this church, and um, so blessed, so blessed. So, uh, before we get to this picture, uh, have you, (laughs) I mean, I could just walk under it, but... (laughs) Um, there are upsides to being short <laughs> and downsides too. Um, have you ever been pulled over by the police? Yeah. I got pulled over by the police, uh, I want to say three months ago, on my way up 235, and, and he didn't write me a ticket. And that's when I found out from Phyllis, she goes, well, it's a good thing they didn't write you a ticket because you know every time somebody gets a ticket, it goes in the paper. And I was like, what? <laughs> Small towns, right? I've never been lived in a place where if you get a speeding ticket, everybody knows, right? Uh, well, several years ago, and, and knock on wood, but I haven't had a ticket in seven, eight years, which for me, if you know my driving, that is a miracle right there. So seven or eight years ago, I, we were living in Arkansas, and I... And I got pulled over in downtown Searcy, Arkansas, which is only slightly larger than Bell Fountain. And I get pulled over, and the police officer stops me. And, and as he's walking up to the car, one of my kids, I think it was Rachel, screams, Oh, no, you're, you're getting another ticket? Welcome to my life. All right. I was like, that's not helping. So the police officer walks up to my car and we start talking. It's my license, my registration, insurance, all those things. And we start talking back and forth. And, and come to find out, he sees my driver's license and it's still an Indiana license from where I lived before. And he goes, hey, do you know where this town called Noblesville is? And I said, absolutely. I opened a restaurant in Noblesville. And he goes, really? And he starts talking. And it turns out his sister lives in Noblesville. And we go into this 10-minute discussion about Indiana and Arkansas and the move and Noblesville. And it was great discussion. And you know what was really even better? I didn't get a ticket. <laughs> that officer was colossally merciful, right? He, and it was, a lot of it was the connection and the discussion and those things and and. and Maybe he did hear my daughter scream, you know, you're getting another one, and she, he felt sorry for me. I don't know. But either way, he was merciful, and, and I was grateful for that, hugely grateful for that. Now, on the flip side, I certainly am grateful when the police pull somebody over who has done something evil to me just moments before, <laughs> Right? Have you ever been passed by somebody on the interstate and they're doing like 100 miles an hour and they're going, you're going to kill somebody. And a couple miles later, you see them pulled over, right? And you want to go, ha ha, right? Justice, justice. And I'm left going, when I'm the one who's getting pulled over, I'm praying for mercy. But when somebody else is getting busted, I'm praying for justice, right? And so we're welcome to the quandary that we face in life of the value of mercy and justice. 
And I say that because we're, we're about to embark upon a four-week study of the book of Jonah, and that really is the crux of much of the discussion, is the difference between mercy and justice. And Jonah has some issues with that that we'll get into in a second and, and how that all fits together. But what, what is this picture? This picture is, well, I mean, Chad, do you know where this picture is? It's in Ann Arbor. It's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Chad's a Michigan fan. So, and, and I will tell you this, Chad, this is the only nice thing I'm ever going to say. Oh, no, I, I have. Um, <laughs> Ann Arbor is a n- beautiful little town. It really, really is. So that's, we're going to cut that out of the sermon. I don't want that online anywhere. But it's a beautiful little town. And I, I had occasion to go to this courthouse once. I had a friend of mine who blew out his knee and um, needed a ride back up to this courthouse to go to court because he had borrowed his roommate's ID to get into the rec center at the University of Michigan, okay? And somebody caught it and said, we're charging you with doing something you shouldn't do, whatever that is. So I, I haul him up there And I remember getting into court that day because he can't drive. He's blown out his knee. His car's a stick, so he can't drive. So I drove him up. And I remember getting into court that day, and we're sitting there waiting for him to come up. And this, this guy walks up before him, the case before him, and this judge just goes off on this guy, just lays into him. This is like the fifth time I've seen you here. What's wrong with you? Are you stupid? Can you not listen? Just starts going off, and I'm looking at my friend Eugene. We were talking about Eugene in class this morning, weren't we? Eugene and I had adventures. We were talking, looking at Eugene, and Eugene's like, man, I'm going to jail. I'm going, I'm in trouble. This guy's mad as a hornet, right? And then so he, he throws the other guy in jail says 10 days in jail, puts him in jail for 10 days. Eugene's case is next. Eugene walks up, and and the guy's like, what'd you do? He goes, he tells him what he did, and and he goes, you gonna do it again? And he goes, no. And the guy goes, all right, time served. (laughs) He had to do like 10 hours of community service. That was it. That's all he had to do. And it didn't go on his record either, which is good because he's a doctor now. So that's a whole other discussion. (laughs) That was his big concern. He's like, my mom's going to kill me, right? And he never made that mistake again, and he received mercy because it was, it was a mistake he made. It was poor judgment. How many 19-year-olds do you know that make poor judgment calls, right? I know some 48-year-olds that make poor judgment calls, right? But, you know, the judge was merciful to him. And, and on the one hand, you want to go, well... Should he have been merciful or would it have been just? Would it have been just to charge him? Would it have been just to make him pay a fine? Would it have been just to give him time, give him two days in jail? That would make him think really hard about doing something like that again, right? But he took his word for it. He took his word for the fact that he would never do it again. And to my knowledge, he never has. If he did, he didn't involve me, which is probably all for the better. So... So this notion between, and I saw some people when I said, should they have put it, would it have been just to put him in jail? I saw some people shaking their heads, no. Okay. 
Because we have an idea in our mind of what, I think, what things deserve mercy and what acts deserve justice. We have an idea in our minds of, of where that line is. How about this lady, this lady right here? Do you know who that is? Her name is Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker uh, was convicted in the early 90s of a double murder. She served 14 years on death row in Texas. She pled for mercy. And during that time in prison, she became a, a born-again Christian. And, you know, I know people in jail, you go, did they really? Everyone who came in contact with her said she absolutely changed. She absolutely went from being part of the problem to part of the solution. She went from being someone who, who you know, didn't have a second thought about the value of a human life and then turned into someone who said, no, human life is hugely valuable and I should not have done this and I am so sorry, but I need people to hear that there is a God who loves them. There is a Lord that, that, that tells us we are worth something and we need to, to know that and feel that and we need to preach that gift of mercy to the world. On the day of her ex scheduled execution, there were crowds outside the prison on both sides screaming at each other, saying, you should kill her, you should put her to death, and saying you should allow her to live because she is repentant, because she has changed, because she's ready to help make a difference in the world. Now, the, what happened was she was put to death. Some of us would shake our heads, and some of us would say, Sounds about right, because we have a line in our heads of what deserves mercy and what deserves justice. I'm not here to tell you which one was the right thing to do. I didn't know her. I'm not here to pronounce that judgment. I am here to say, to ask us to spend the next few weeks trying to understand how God's sense of divine justice and God's sense of divine mercy fit together and how they completely fit outside of our perceptions of mercy and justice. Michael Sandel, who's a philosopher and a professor at Harvard, said the simplest way of understanding justice is giving people what they deserve. That's the notion, right? You get what you deserve, that's justice. Simple. I think it's an oversimplification, but okay, we'll go with it. But then he also says the real difficulty begins with figuring out who deserves what and why. Because each of us has a different perspective on who deserves what and why. Does that make sense? And so when somebody says to me, how do we understand what is just and what is not and what is appropriate mercy and what is not, and they say they want to be able to do it without God, I go, you've lost your mind <laughs> because we've all got a different perspective on what that should be. And it often is affected by whether or not it affects us. I'm happy I did not get a speeding ticket 
but I'm also happy that the dude who flew by me got a speeding ticket. Now, is that right? It's a good question. In my mind, of course it is. But is it in God's? That's what we're going to try to work on understanding. That's what we're going to try to work on, trying to, to understand how sometimes God's sense of justice and mercy are so different from our own that they can throw us for a loop, that it can actually make us angry that things don't line up with what we think they should be. And yet, they are right. They are true. They are eternal, and they are divine. And our senses of it are not always such. So, we believe we follow a just God. Do you believe you follow a just God? The Scripture certainly tells us we follow a just God. In Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. Right? Or Psalm 99.4 says, The mighty king, that would be the Lord, loves justice. You have established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. We believe He is just and true and right. But we also believe He is... Merciful. 2 Samuel 24, 14 says, David answered God, or Gad, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great. So even in his worst times, David's going, I know where the mercy will be. It will be in the hands of God, right? And Titus 3 says, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by the works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Thank God. <laughs> Thank you, God, we have a merciful Lord who sent his son to die on a cross. Don't forget we, we celebrated the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ not just a week ago, right? I hope we celebrate it every week, but we particularly focused on it just a week ago because we have a merciful God and a just God. Which brings us to Jonah, and the name of our series is called The Scandalous Mercy of God. And why is it called scandalous? Because it feels at times scandalous. When God shows mercy, when we, we think justice should occur, we get a little angry because it messes with our sensibilities of what right and wrong are. Or when God shows justice, divine justice, when we think mercy was called for, it could bug us too. And make no mistake, the mercy of God that comes through the, the person of Jesus Christ was a scandal. It was a scandal at the time. Our Savior is not someone who just makes it all work out easy. He's someone who's going to rough, rough you up a little bit, who's going to make you think, who's going to make you adjust the way you look at mercy and justice and call you to think of it differently, to think of it as God thinks of it, and that is no easy task. And so... We're going to talk about Jonah's struggle with that. As I mentioned before, Jonah has two problems. His first is Jonah has an inability to reconcile God's concern for people hostile to Israel with God's election of Israel, right? We have printed on our money, in God we trust, right? 
we, we, in, we sing in the, or, or speak in the Pledge of Allegiance, right? One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, right? And, and, and so when somebody attacks us who is of a different faith, we have a lot of difficulty reconciling our perspective of ourselves as God's a country that rules under God or lives under God with those who are attacking us, and it makes it really hard for us to connect the dots. Make sense? The same would be the case, Jonah's other problem is reconciling God's justice with God's mercy, and that's what we talked about, that whole notion of trying to understand how God could be merciful and just at the same time, and how it could not line up with what I think mercy and justice should look like, but very much do in God's eyes. So, who does Jonah have a problem with? Jonah first has a problem with the, the city of Nineveh. Anybody know what Nineveh is? Don't say a city. The fish slappers. If you've watched the Veggie Tales version of Jonah, they slap each other with fishes. We were discussing that this morning, right? I, I, asked, I asked some kids this morning, I said, hey, have, have you, do you know the story of Jonah? And one of them goes, yeah, fish slapping. That's what I know is fish slapping. So if you think Veggie Tales does not have an effect on your kids and the way they, they learn, you're wrong. It's awesome stuff. It totally does. So... Nineveh is, a, is, the, is the capital of Assyria in this time. It is about 50 to 60 miles in diameter, 60 miles around. I would call that pretty big. How about you? Pretty good-sized city. In 2 Chronicles 32, we read of King Sennacherib of Nineveh as they siege Jerusalem, and he, and he calls God, Yahweh, he calls him a liar. He says, You're, he's a liar. He tells Hezekiah, he's a liar. You cannot depend on him. He is not going to save you. You are going to die. I'm going to siege Jerusalem. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to take you out. So what is, what is Nineveh's relationship with the people of God? Not very good. Not very good. And why am I going through all of this? Because I think it helps us understand why Jonah reacts the way he does. In the book of Nahum, we see there's a prophecy against Assyria for all the horrible things that they have done to the people of God, that he will destroy Assyria, which he eventually does, that God, God does. And even in Jonah, we see a, we'll see a prediction for the fall of Nineveh. Jonah has a lot of difficulty trying to understand how he could be asked to go and speak mercy onto a people that he believes deserves justice, that deserves to be punished for what they've done. So let's look at our text. Let's start with Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 today, verses 1 through 4. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come before me. And Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish for the, from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So what do, what do we learn here? First, Jonah chooses 
to run away from God. Does that work out for you? We're going to see later that Jonah ends up not going where he wants to go, but going where God wants him to go no matter what. And if you know the story, we'll get into that later. We're not even going to talk about big fish or whales today. Oops, I just did. Okay. Imagine Jonah having dinner with his friends. Jonah is a Jonah's call comes to him three times in the book of Jonah. It always comes to him when he is on dry land. And I think that's important for us to note because if you are on dry land, if you are comfortable, because humans are meant to live on dry land, right? That's a place of comfort. As you, if you look at the, the, the genesis and the construction of the world, God took the chaos of the waters, the waters of the deep, and he made them and brought order to them. He created the dry land. The imagery in the Bible is consistent this way. Water is chaos. Dry land is steady, comfort, stable. Okay? It's important to understand that imagery because it's all over the place. So when you see dry land, what should you be thinking? Comfort, stability, right? Normal, human existence. If you see waters, you should think, Chaos, uncertainty, that's the imagery that the people of God have always used because that's the way God designed it. So I imagine Jonah, because all three of his calls come while he's on dry land, while he is on safe, while he is comfortable, while he is no longer at the threat of peril. And I imagine him sitting and eating dinner with his friends, living a comfortable life. We have very little in the way of prophecy of Jonah as a prophet and his work as a prophet outside of the book of Jonah. Very little. Unlike Isaiah, who pops up all over the place as being a real pain, right? Which is good. Prophets are a pain. Did you know that? Because they tell everybody things they don't want to hear. They're not well-liked. And so Jonah, we don't see much about him. So I see, I don't know that he raised a lot of Cain. Bible joke, come on. Did you get it good? Some of you got it, that's good. Some of you didn't, that's okay. It was a bad joke, you didn't miss much. So... But in, the, in, the, in this case, Jonah, I imagine him sitting him at home and, and having dinner with his friends and hanging out and being part of a normal life on dry land where he doesn't feel threatened at all. And God coming to him and saying, yo, Jonah, I got something for you to do. I need you to get up from your place of comfort and I need you to leave. You've been training your entire life as a prophet for this moment. I've been preparing you for this place, this time to go do this thing. I need you to get up and leave your place of comfort and go do what I need you to do. Marty Martin in 1987, he was a pastor, coined this phrase. He said, God comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable, which is all well and good as long as he's not afflicting my comfortable, right? Right? I don't really want God to take me out of my dry land and throw me into the ocean of chaos. I really don't want him to take me out of my comfort zone and put me somewhere where I am thoroughly uncomfortable. 
And yet that's exactly what God does here with Jonah. And he does it to ask him to go reach people that Jonah has every reason to dislike and distrust. Has God ever asked you to go talk to somebody that you dislike and distrust? Is that fun? Does that brighten your day? When you get the understanding that God says, I need you to go talk to this person that, is, that has wronged you 53 times, do you go, yay, it's time! I go, really? Now? Right? Do I have to do this? Welcome to Jonah. Welcome to Jonah. It's easy to, to sit on the outside of Jonah's story and say, Jonah, why didn't you just go where God told you to do? But you know what? I think a whole lot of us would do the same. When God asks us to do something that's outside of our comfort zone, we often avoid it. We often actively avoid doing it. And we fight against it. So what does Jonah do? Jonah takes off. And what's really interesting to me is that Jonah runs to the chaos to get away from God. He gets on a boat and goes into the ocean. And remember what we talked about, right? We talked about dry land is comfort and stability. The ocean is the unknown. It is chaotic. And, and as we read, he, he raised up a great storm. That would make it even more chaotic, right? Right? But repeated in this phrase in the scripture is he goes, he leaves, he got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Then he says he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and then he went down inside the ship to go from the Lord's presence. He's running to the chaos to avoid what God has called him to do. Why would he do that? Why would you run to the chaos to avoid what God has called you to do? In the moment, running to the chaos feels less frightening or less concerning than doing what God has asked us to do. Have you ever run away from God because you're afraid he's going to ask you to do something you don't want him to do, you don't want to do? I see it all the time. I see when God pushes us and says, look, I need you to do more. I need you to, to study more and learn more about who I am. And I need you to change and alter the way you act and treat others around you. Alter your world to be reflective of my grace, my love, my mercy. I'm calling you to do more, to be more. And I see so many people when God offers that invitation or even that push to engage with him, to grow in their faith, that they run from it because they're not willing. It's a battle of wills. They're not willing to take that step. And so what the result is, the result is they stop engaging with God. It may not be as active as jumping on a ship and taking off, right? But it might be a little more passive-aggressive. It's, I stop showing up at church, and yes, I think coming to church matters. I do, because we need each other. We've discussed that a thousand times, right? We're a family. I think they stop reading the Scripture because they're afraid of what God is going to call them to from it. 
I think they stop praying. They'd run away from God and into the chaos of the world. Not because God is offering something bad, but because they're afraid that he might ask them to do something they do not yet want to do. It can, it can stunt your growth in the Lord. It stunts the life that the Holy Spirit promises to provide, and yet we do it all the time. God is going to ask me to reach out to somebody I want to reach out to. God is going to ask me to change. God is going to ask me to do something different. God is going to ask me to have faith, to trust him, and I don't want to trust him or I'm afraid to trust him because it might not turn out the way I want. Sound like Jonah yet? So our call, Jonah's call, is to, to leave this dry land and leave this place of safety to go do something that he does not want to do to go somewhere where he doesn't understand exactly where God's headed yet, what the outcome might be? Will it line up with his sense of justice and mercy? If we read all the way through Jonah, as we get to the end, it still doesn't line up with his sense of justice and mercy. Jonah is still bitter at the end that it did not turn out the way he wanted. I pray that we will not be that, those people, that we will have the strength and courage to rejoice that it turned out the way God wanted because that was better than what we had planned anyways. So why do we act as though our call would be any different than Jonah's? Our call is to leave the dry land and to go into the chaos of the world. Not to chase God, not to, not to run away from God, but to help tell others of Him. But that's not something we're interested in often because you're asking me to step outside my comfort zone. You're asking me to show mercy to those that I do not want to show mercy to. You're asking me to be different, act different, trust, show faith, all these things that in my mind do not lead to maintaining my comfortable dry land experience where I get to do what I want to do, live the way I want to live, and like who I am. This week we read, uh, I read in the news if you saw the, the bombings in Sri Lanka, right? Last count was 259 people. They went up and then it went back down. So it's 259 people that were killed this week in churches and hotels that were bombed by others. And if, if God called me today to get up and go into that and go work with people in that setting, would I do it? Yes. Would I be frightened to death? Yes. <laughs> but that, I realize that's not everybody's call. I understand that. But I do think even when it comes to simpler things, because that's an extreme call, right? You need to get up and go work in a nation where you're going to be hated the minute you get off the plane. Right? That's an extreme call. Do I think it's the call that God could place on all of us at any moment? Yes, but for the sake of argument, let's stick with the simpler things. 
Let's, let's stick with when God asks you to reach out to someone you don't like or don't even know. When God asks you to show mercy to the, your boss at work who cusses at you and treats you like garbage. You want to show mercy to him? Or do you want to find justice? I don't know about you, but when somebody's cussing at me and calling me names, <laughs> mercy's not first on my list, right? It's not my gut reaction. And yet if I had to stop and consider the things that I've done wrong in my life and been caught doing and the people who have shown me mercy along the way, when honestly I deserved something else probably, I would not know the Lord or be where I am right now and I can pick those moments out. I can pick out two or three moments in my life that I could have had the you know, I could be in jail because, yes, I've done dumb things. I could be in a horrible, horrible, nasty place right now. But because people had mercy when I deserved justice, in the long run, I was able to see God. And that's key to our understanding of how God divvies out mercy and justice. God takes the long view. We do not. Our sense of mercy and justice are absolutely tied to our feelings in the moment. They're absolutely tied to what is affecting us right here, right now. It affects the way we look at everything. It affects the way we look at the immigration issue in our country. How do we look at that? Some are very pro, some are very against. All of those things are emotional, and all of those things tie into mercy and justice, right? All of those things tie into what it means to be a country or not be a country. All of those things are all short view. They're all what we're experiencing right here, right now, and how it's going to affect me in the moment. God is not worried about what affects in the moment. He's worried about the eternal implications, and that is so hard for me to wrap my head around. That is where I need to learn to trust. <laughs> that God really does see things I don't see. That God really does know things that I don't know. That we serve a just God and a merciful God. And that he divvies it out exactly in the right time and in the right ways, whether I think it's the right time or the right way or not. Jonah was called suddenly from his place of comfort to enter into a place of discomfort. He was called to, to do something he did not want to do, and he reacted angrily, and he reacted in fear. And he reacted trying to run from it. And, and if we learn nothing else from the book of Jonah, it should be this. That is not how we're supposed to respond to the, thing, to the requests of God. <laughs> we are not supposed to run. You know, the real irony of the book of Jonah as we get into it, and I encourage you to read it this week. I encourage you to read the book of Jonah. It will help you understand and, and gain more knowledge in where we're headed over the next month on God's understanding of mercy, mercy and justice and how that works. 
But later on, the irony here is we will find out, as Dr. Kevin Youngblood says, it says this, the book, however, employs the genre, that would be the prophetic genre, with a hint of satire, the exemplary behavior in the book is displayed not by the prophet Jonah, or God's called person, but by the idolatrous Gentile mariners and the wicked people of Nineveh, who in contrast to Jonah, respond properly to Yahweh's word and mercy. Have you ever seen someone who's got a sticker on the back of their car that says, love Jesus, or has the fish, and yet they cut you off, right? Or they flip you the bird, right? Or they do all those things that are completely unchristlike. Yes? Okay. We've all been around people who claim to follow the Lord and yet do not. Do not act like it. Admittedly, I have probably been that person where I claim to follow the Lord and yet respond to people in a way that is decidedly not the way God would have me respond. Have you ever done that? If you say you haven't, we're going to offer prayer time here at the end, okay? We've all done that. And the irony of the book of Jonah, one of the great ironies, is that it's not God's people that are acting and responding properly to the call God has placed on them. It's everybody else. Really? God had to go outside his people to find those who were willing to act godly. Let us not be them, right? Let us remember that we are called to serve a merciful God and a just God. He gives, James 4, 6 says, he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble Expressing mercy despite our visceral desire sometimes for something else, for justice, helps, keeps, helps us to keep in perspective our personal need for mercy, right? It helps us to understand that if I'm the one getting busted, I want mercy. It helps us to see others as being in the same predicament. It helps us to remember the mercy that we have been granted and continue to be granted because the sun is coming out. We've been granted. See, it's getting brighter as we talk. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good, all right? That is awesome. We're going to have to write that down. So God continues to grant you mercy and us mercy. And yes, he continues to be just. I'm just glad he doesn't buy into Michael's definition. He doesn't always give us what we deserve. And let us understand and afford that same level of grace and mercy to others. Okay. So, we close our service every week with this time of prayer. I have a few public prayer requests that we received before church started today. I'll read them off in just a moment. But if you, if you desire to have somebody pray with you, I'll be here after church. I would love to pray with you. Um, if it's something you want to talk about or deal with, then I would love to help you do that. Uh, not because I'm good, but because God is. And because He can help you. I really believe that with all my heart or I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't stand up here week after week and say to you, God is your answer. 
the Lord Jesus Christ is your answer because He is. Okay? Um, before we do that, does, do any of you have a smartphone? Hickey, you don't have a smartphone? Yeah. Okay. If you've got a smartphone, did you know that we have an app? Gretna Brethren Church has an app. Now, why do I mention this? You're going, Rob, this is a right term from what we were talking about. It's really not, okay? The app, a couple of our people have been using it. The app has um, sermon notes on it. It's had it for weeks now, so you can actually take notes along the way if you want to. Um, it has a wonderful thing we call a prayer wall, which is a way to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, put a prayer up, a public prayer, request for prayer, and I promise it will, I will see it because I have to approve it before it goes up, and I only do that so that I have to see it, okay? But it's a way to, to communicate, to connect with each other. If you want to, you know, you get a list of prayers on a Sunday and then you forget who you're supposed to be praying for on Monday or Tuesday, guess what we have for you? the prayer wall, where you can pull it up on your phone at any point in the middle of the night and try to remember those prayers or even any prayers that have come in this week. It also has a list of activities. It has some uh, materials if you're learning to work, trying to work on your marriage or your relationships with your teenager or with each other, or if you're trying to learn how to better communicate the gospel to people, those tools are there. They're available to you. Um, we've been waiting to unveil it. What? If you go to either the Apple Store or the Android Store and you look under the church app, you will see, a, oh, that's, you're, Tom, you're good. You will see a, or you go to our website. If you go to our website, there's a green circle that says stay connected or there's a, a words across the top say download the app. If you click that, it will take you to a link that you can send your phone number through the link, and it will send you what you need in order to sign up, okay? Make sense? I would encourage you to do that because it's a way to keep connected days other than Sunday because I think we do a great job of communicating on Sundays. I don't think we do as good a job as we need to about being with each other throughout the week, and this is a great way to stay connected. So you're going to see more and more things go up on that prayer wall. You're going to see more and more things show up, and it's a way for you to put out your prayers and know that somebody will hear them and know that they will get to the right place, right? And I think that's important that we, we can be that for one another, okay? If you have questions, I'll be out after church. I'll be glad to talk to you about it, or Heather can show you how to do it, or Greg can show you how to do it. Either one. Either Gregory can show you how to do it, okay? So... We've been working on this for months. I've just been keeping it kind of on the DL, and it still is. Wait a minute, not so much. All right. So, prayer requests. In case you didn't know it, uh, Caitlin Easton had an emergency appendectomy on Friday. Have you met Asher? It's Asher's mommy. Um, so, she is doing well. She's resting well. She is recovering. But um, if you have a chance, give her a call, send her a card, let her know that you care. Um, hopefully, she'll be up and moving and chasing around her little boy here soon. Keith Reevestall is home today. He has a fever, and they don't know why he has a fever. Um, 
If you know Keith, you know that he is an organ transplantee. He's got several organs that have been transplanted, and he, you know, when he gets sick, that's serious business. And so we need to be actively praying for him that whatever infection is there goes away. We like to continue to pray for Bernice Roby. She's feeling weak. Um, if you've never met Bernice, you're totally missing out. She is one of the sweetest people I have ever met, and she loves the Lord, <laughs> loves the Lord with all of her heart, but um, she's continuing to weaken. She has congestive heart failure, so if you would pray for her to have strength and have clarity, uh, that would be wonderful. Paula Wickersham is whole, home right now because she has a massive upper respiratory infection. I uh, would pray for her. Uh, Tony, I understand his back surgery went well. He's recovering which is great. Uh, Diane Hickey this morning, praise God for surgeons, right, who were, helped her back get better, so that's awesome. Does anybody else have any prayers? Yep. Okay. Um, Betty Hemphill and her husband are in Logan Acres. Okay. 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 Absolutely. We pray for the troops every week. And you're going on a cruise. Yes, Holly. Pray for Holly's cruise. Miss Ruby, you had something. I'm having cataract surgery Tuesday morning. Okay. So we'll keep Ruby in her prayers on Tuesday morning. She's having cataract surgery. Anything else? You have a root canal on Tuesday. I will definitely pray for you. That's no fun at all. Yes? You have a root canal on Tuesday? Okay. You're having your teeth worked on? Again. Okay. <laughs> you don't like the dentist? Wow. Dentists everywhere, you know they cringe, right? They think everybody hates them. They do. But you need them. You need them. Anything else? Yep, Mary's back in the... She'll be in the hospital for next month or so. Okay. Keep an eye on her infection. Her infection is back. Is she in Lima again? Yeah. Okay. Mark's mom has an infection that they've been fighting for months, right? Months and months and months. Um, they can't seem to take care of. She's back in the hospital in Lima right now. She was at Green Hills, right? And your dad still is at Green Hills, correct? Okay. Anything else? All right, well, let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for your mercy and your grace. It's sometimes difficult for us to trust that you are both a just and merciful God. And it's hard sometimes to trust it because we have different ideas. I pray that this week we will have the courage and humility to set aside our own personal desires to seek both divine justice and divine mercy to reflect your desires for those around us because you show us mercy each and every day every day you allow us to get up 
is a merciful time. It's a merciful day. We are not owed anything. Help us to remember that as we interact with others, that God may call us to step outside of our comfort zone and and pray that we will not have the courage. We will have the courage to go with you rather than trying to run away from what you're calling us to. We will have a chance to be your instruments in this world, your instruments of both justice and mercy, that we will do so with your thoughts and your desires and the power of your Holy Spirit. You've heard our prayers this morning of those who are sick, who are infirmed, or are looking forward not so excitedly to procedures this week. We pray that your hands will be with those who are doing the work, that you will allow them to recover and heal quickly, that you will keep the doctors on point and on task, you keep their minds clear and their hands steady. Lord, I'm thankful for those you have put in our lives here for wonderful hearts like Bernice. I pray that you will heal others who are sick. I pray that you will give us opportunity to be your witnesses in the world, that we may not be like Jonah and run away, but instead run to what you have called us to. Father God, thank you for your mercy, your strength, and thank you most of all for your son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this week. If you had Easter pictures taken last week and they're hanging on the wall, please take them. That's what they're there for us to take. If you want digital copies, find me.